Ladies and gentlemen, hello, hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Sherm in the Booth. My name is Sherm. You guys are some true Chicagoans for coming out in January. It's snowing outside, it's freezing, and you're at the f***ing club at 1 a.m. Boys with the bass, yeah, boys, boys, bass. Who am I talking to right now? You're famous. <laughs> free food, free drinks, music. Girls, let's go. Do you like it? Cool. If you don't, goodbye. <laughs> I'm missing the most important part. Oh, yeah. We should throw like a crazy like bar mitzvah party. This, this is crazy. Send me stems. I finished it. <laughs> hey, what's up, guys? How is everyone doing? Just wait, you know it kicks in like three to five seconds afterward. Yo, yo, what's up, everyone, and welcome back to another brand new episode of Sherman the Booth. I'm, of course, your host, Sherman. Today is Wednesday, June 15, 2022, and this is episode 210. Wow, we are already in mid-June, but you know what? It's time to keep the heat up because we have a scorching hot legend on for episode 210, the one and only option four. I am truly honored to have him on the show, and we had such a great time during this interview. In episode 210, we got it all in, and started by talking about his journey into house music. Brennan is a homegrown Coloradan and has been cool since day one. He fell in love with music early on in life and went to his first rave in his late teens, and needless to say, he was hooked. He also had a day job for a while until he cannonballed it in the music industry and got involved on all sides of the business. Today, he's now sitting on an impressive discography, runs Hot Boy Records, and is a major player in the Colorado scene. He's the first person to tell you how fortunate he's been, but it's been an amazing journey nonetheless. Of course, he talked about the option for discography. He started releasing music in 2012 and has since put out some of the most unique and original music I've ever heard. We talked about his relationship with Nervous Records and Club Sweat, both legendary labels, and got the full backstory on tracks like Big Grin with Born Dirty on Hot Boy and Dance Around with Worthy on Nervous Records. I loved running through his tracks. We had to get into Hot Boy Records. Option 4 launched a label that was set to do things differently and do it in an engaging and inclusive way. From the merch to the shows to the music, you know it's Hot Boy when you see it, hear it, and feel it. He's had artists like Kyle Watson, Steve Darko, Max Chapman, Bot, Kevin Knapp, and so much more on the label. But don't forget the famous house track Word by Walker and Royce Vanessa that also calls Hot Boy home. So much coming soon. I knew before chatting with him that he's a legend for many reasons, but hearing his unfiltered truth on his journey made me genuinely appreciate the impact he's made on many levels. When you hear someone say they were born for this, think of option four because this guy just gets it. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show, my friend, and I can't wait to meet you in person soon. Let's get into it right now so you guys can hear his story for yourselves. This is episode 210 with option four. Ladies and gentlemen, hello, hello, and welcome to Sherm in the motherfucking booth. I'm going to add in motherfucking because I got the coolest motherfucker on the other side of the screen right now. <laughs> Brennan, cool. aka Option 4, it is my absolute pleasure to have you on the show, man. How are you? I'm really good, man. Thanks for having me tonight. I'm, I'm sorry for being late earlier. <laughs> That's all right, man. You're, you're doing big things um, out in Denver. I've known you for uh, a long time on the music front. You are like such an icon in, in many different ways. You're a very unique producer. You're an incredible DJ. Like you said, uh, you've done events in Chicago and you've been 
DJing here for a long time. When was the first time you actually played in Chicago? Do you remember? Oh, man. Um, well, there was a party called Point and Chicken. Yeah, bro. Dom and Fi and Orville. Yeah. And and those boys had me uh, play that party once on a Monday night. And that was like the <laughs> craziest thing that ever happened to me in my life. I feel right? like the wildest party. I, yeah, the, yeah. So I that was probably, man, 10, 11 years ago or so. It was a long time ago. Uh, it was like the first time I played in Chicago. Um, wow. Uh, there was also a, a yeah, so it was, it was a long time ago. But yeah, that it's been not to date myself, but yeah, been a minute. <laughs> and Evil Olive, right? Yeah, over at Evil Olive, Martin Mendoza. I mean, there's so many legends in the Chicago nightlife game. I feel like they oh man, doing stuff for a long time. So I'm so glad you brought that up. I've had all three of them on the podcast before. They're they're just tastemakers here, and um, they've continued to evolve too. I mean, they're all such creative people, and uh, I'm so glad you played a porn and chicken party. That shit is literally legendary here. Yeah, it was. It was like I still can't believe. Like, oh, oh man, I don't. Yeah. I know. Yeah, things we can't even disclose. I, I know. <laughs> I, I, I've been there before. You're like, what the fuck I'm, is going on here? I'm playing music, but there's sparks flying off this crotch right now into the flames. And oh yeah. <laughs> Dicks, ass, tits, baby. Every, every piece of the body. It's fucking, there's literally porn and chicken going on. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, wild times. But yeah, it's been, I've been playing, I, mean, I guess I've been playing Chicago now for a long time. So uh, yeah, just a lot of, a lot of good memories in Chicago. Awesome, brother. Well, Chicago loves you, man. We're going to get your full story today. I'm super pumped about that. I always like to start the interview off with a special question. And uh, I came across something you're known by in my research proce uh, process, a house music warrior. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I think I might know why, but what does that mean to you exactly? Oh, man. I just was, uh, I think a lot of it was just more, that was like uh, this thing that um, my boy in the UK kind of coined. And it was just, a lot of it was just because I was just doing everything at once. It was, uh, wasn't just uh, being a producer or being a DJ or being a promoter or being an organizer or a talent buyer. It was just like a record label owner. It was like <laughs> Thing. so just exhausting everybody uh, you know just running like a yeah like a like a warrior I guess just grinding in every facet so that's where that kind of came from for sure man you truly are a warrior and you have you've had your hands in a lot of pots over the years um and we have so much to cover today I want to start at the beginning though where are you originally from I know you're based in Denver were you born there no um I was born in a small town I was born in Colorado Springs, like uh, sure. an hour outside of Denver. Yeah. Um, and then I grew up in San Francisco. So I moved when I was a baby or like a kid. Okay. I was like four years old, moved to San Francisco and then kind of grew up there. My formative years were in the Bay and uh, moved back to Colorado. And then, yeah, got my, uh, you know, went to my first rave in, in Colorado. You know, yeah. I, uh, I went to like rave on the rocks for my first time. I think I was like 17 or 16 or something like wow. that. Wow. Chemical Brothers and Fat Boy Slim. At that point, it was a wrap. I was ready to rip from there on out. I was in love with the love with the culture and the music and never slowed down since. Let's fucking go, man. Did you have friends that got you into it, though, before then? I mean, what was it What was it like for you when music first started coming into your life? Well, Colorado Springs is really reclude, like really reclusive. It's Isn't like, it a military town. It's a military town. And it's yeah. really like culture in Colorado Springs is really hard to grow because the people that live there are always moving, right? They okay. live there for three years and they're gone. Three years and they're gone. Like the yeah. majority of the population, it's like 60% of the population of Colorado Springs is like military or something. It's wow. Wow. Um, and I might be exaggerating that, and, but I, yeah. I just like, you know, um, that whenever you have that much of a turnover of population, it's really hard for things to kind of 
grow and sustain and, and move on to future generations if everybody's just always gone. So it was, it was kind of tough to discover electronic music, especially back then there wasn't like what we have now, you know, you don't have streaming services just feeding you music. So yeah. it was like uh, pretty difficult to find back then. And, but it was obviously worth the search and worth the, worth the, the endeavor. And we have some really, you know, legendary clubs here in Colorado, yeah. in Denver, especially um, that have been, you know, really kind of like the forefront of uh, bringing a lot of like the the big European talent. Like, I mean, back when I was like 19 years old, like Carl Cox had a residency at the church, you know? What? Oh yeah, it was like Tiesto had a residency at the church. Cascade That's amazing. Cascade had a residency at Vinyl. That's where they all got their start before the Beatport thing blew up and things evaluate, you know, escalated even more. Like the owner of the clubs that, which in the wildest world I book at and, and work now, yeah. um, in that capacity is like, you know, the owner basically, I mean, you could pretty much credit him for a large part of the music scene in America, really. Like he was one of those, you know, he was running around with Dennis Rodman and he was like, man, I'm, I'm at this club now and I'm at Crowbar and, oh, we got to get this Carl guy to Denver. And, you know, I mean, he was like, you know, all those guys got their, their residencies like in, in Denver before they really started to go, you know, like, oh, it was, it's wild how much history, especially at the church, you know, and vinyl, um, how much history were there at those nightclubs that were putting in 1500 people on a Thursday night for somebody like Tiesto when they were still relatively small, you know, especially yeah. on the national scale now. So what was that was, guy's name? Uh, Regis Cristo. He's the owner, still is the owner. Um, but it's just like, yeah, he's my direct, my boss um, right now. But yeah, it's just like, pretty fascinating the amount of history that came from Colorado when you yeah. look at the whole broader you know broader spectrum of electronic music people always think of like New York or the coasts or you know they think of Chicago for the legendary sure. parties and the house music that came out of Chicago yeah. um, but Denver definitely contributed things as far as especially on the commercial side of things of where you know Beatport, home of Beatport came from Denver. And those are the people that were the talent buyers at the clubs that I talent buy for now, you know? So putting wow. that shit out there into the world and now having like a rating system where you have a top track and a top track and, you know, you've got the Beatport 100 and yeah. you know, uh, basically all that stemmed from Denver. Um, and so when you think of like the impact that like Colorado's had on like, you know, dance music in America, especially, it's pretty, it's pretty underrated. <laughs> Definitely it is, bro. For sure, man. I, this is a lesson for me. I didn't know Beatport was founded in Denver. That's incredible. I didn't know the influence that this guy had, obviously. I didn't know Vinyl and Church had been there for that long, too. That's awesome. 30 years. Yeah, 26 years at the church. Celebrated. That's a long years. fucking time, man. Like, for the oldest club, club here is, like, Spy Bar and Smart Bar, and that might be even a little bit older. That's incredible. And those are amazing clubs, by the way, as yes, well. Yes, they are. Those places, my whole Institutions, heart. Institutions, though. Is what, is what these places are, man. That's incredible. Yeah. So it's like, a, yeah, like for me and, you know, kind of growing up in Colorado, I was able to have access to some of that stuff at an early age, you know, like yeah. I saw Carl Cox for the first time when I was 18, you know, wow. at the church on Thursday, just my, my mind blowing, you know? Yeah, and, dude. Uh, we've had some, uh, you know, really legendary promoters in Denver kind of paved the way for everything to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So it's like part of the reason I think that the scene in Colorado is so strong and how many tickets that, you know, we sell or how many people come out to shows on any given night of the week, you know, here in Colorado. Wow. That's so special. I mean, I can't even imagine how awesome it is for you to have seen that scene growing. Right. And now you literally have been a part of the infrastructure and where it's at now. I mean, I was going to say, honestly, like the Denver music scene, house music scene 
is like it's global now man like everybody knows denver like it's such a great city obviously for for what it is sports teams and the outdoors but like there's a huge music culture there obviously with red rocks too so that's fucking awesome yeah that i mean yeah we're very very fortunate man it's crazy um I'm like i think just alone like i mean even just like what i book i think i probably book i don't know anywhere from three to five hundred house music shows techno shows or whatever a year in denver so you know and they're all sustained really well all the venues are doing good and you know people just really like the music and that kind of goes hand in hand i think with weed as well but for sure man when i kind of came onto the scene in denver like 10 years ago or so um that you know i was able to kind of contribute that voice and started kind of growing that sound again and obviously timing and everything spiraled to what it was and then everything got real big and now it's like you know it's it's fun every weekend so it's wow. uh it's definitely uh definitely a full-time party in colorado <laughs> for sure man it's good people out there too um did you like after you went to the carl cox show i mean did you have a moment where you really wanted to get involved in the industry and become more than just a fan no no not at all um i just love the music and i love going to the parties um and yeah, then fuck yeah. my life kind of got um, uh, took a took a turn where I had to go make money, and so I went and traveled for work. And uh, my dad, uh, he's a composer. He wrote movie, music for like movies and stuff. So I've been around a studio my whole life, essentially. But um, it was kind of like when I was on the road, I would bring my little MIDI keyboard and my laptop and my little you know my little hard drives and stuff, and I would work on work on music, and I'd put out you know some of the shittiest music of all time. <laughs> my face to be fair and uh it was like one of these weird things that had kind of happened where you know um I would you know I would I would I would get the music where I could but you know especially like in the south and especially at that time scene was super far behind like super far behind so it was really hard to go to like you didn't have like house music parties in no. New Orleans at all like they had a lot of like trance and kind of like EDM and dubstep and just kind of like a lot of the commercial stuff but not a lot of like you know, um, especially when I was living in New Orleans, for example, um, not really a scene for that at all. Right. And so I was pretty disconnected, but I would still write and produce and put records out on the internet, you know? And uh, it, it just kind of, one of these days, this, this dude hit me up who was like the crate digger. His name is DJ Chemistry. And he was a crate digger from in New Orleans that um, he sussed uh, DJ AM's um, crates. Wow. So, DJM hired him to, because I mean, New Orleans has amazing vinyl collections, amazing vinyl stores, like yeah, just amazing, like music scene in general. So his job basically at the time was to go find records for him. And he had heard this record that I had done um, on MySpace and reached out to me because I was in New Orleans. So I gave him the record and, you know, that record did pretty well on MySpace. I had like one record kind of get a lot of attention at the time. I think I had like 30 or 40,000 plays or something like that, which on MySpace at the time meant that a thousand people or so had that yeah. shit. Yeah. You know, whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it was like a, one of those things where I was like, oh man, people actually, you know, when you're writing the part of the problem of being a producer, or at least when you're starting out, especially back then, because there wasn't a tremendous amount of producers, like right. there weren't a lot of people, the barrier to entry to make a studio and, and have the software and pay the money to be able to make the music was so unattainable for so long. Physical like, barrier, right? Literally like oh, physical it, barrier. So much money. It, yeah. yeah. I mean, 
what you can do on Ableton now would have cost you a hundred grand 10 years ago. Seriously. Like, you know, it's, it's out of control how fast, like the technology is kind of, kind of taken over, which is great because now these kids that are 14 are making banging rap records. <laughs> We're here feeling bad about ourselves. They're sitting, yeah. They're sitting there in math class, like trying to act like they do homework on Ableton, just like putting out bangers. <laughs> and like, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty interesting situation. So, um, for me back then, everything was, you know, very, you know, much harder. Like I was still, you know, the amount of money that I had in the studio I had capabilities with, you know, was, was pretty limited, especially back then. So, you know, I, it ended up being one of these things where I had one record do really well. And then I had somebody want the record and it was like a bigger name. And then another bigger name wanted the record and they got very big. And I'd never gone to like a music festival before, but my friend had invited me to go to ultra in like 2007 or some shit and 2006 or something. I don't know. Fuck yeah. And I was like, cool, I'm going to go to ultra. I never heard of it before. Let's go to <laughs> music festival. Let's go. And I look at the lineup. I look at the lineup and those motherfuckers that were like, hit me up for my record on MySpace were at the top of the lineup. And I was just like, well, if they're big enough and they're successful enough, then maybe my music's good enough. I can do this for real too. So wow. you know, kind of like inspired me to start working harder and, and making more music. And then uh, one day I just quit my corporate job and I was like, you know what? Only way it's ever going to happen is if I get a little residency. Um, I'm going to move back home to Denver because my family, they still are in Colorado Springs so I could be closer to them. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to quit my job. I got a little bit of money in the bank. Uh, I had like 10 grand or something. I was like, I'm going to come to Denver and I'm going to be a DJ. I'm going to be a producer. I'm making records starting tomorrow, waking up at 9 a.m., getting a little Starbucks. I'm a producer now, right? So um, I made about $100 a week for the first six months of my life uh, as a producer and found out that wasn't very sustainable. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It was uh, pretty, I had a little residency. Um, and then that's when I was like, well, you know, if I can figure out a way of throwing parties um, to sustain the income, then, you know, I'll be able to not only throw the parties that I want to throw and book the shows that I want to book and bring the yeah. music that I want to bring to Denver. But at the same time, like be able to subsidize the amount of time I'd be spending in the studio. Wow. So that's kind of like how it all kind of shook down. Um, I just kind of left the corporate world and I was like, I'm a DJ now. And I'm one of the, one of a million that it worked out for. I know so many people that, sure. that I just got very, very, very fortunate and very lucky that it did. Um, and that's I was awesome. able to, able to you know pay my bills because that's the biggest struggle with anything your biggest struggle is not you know it's not are you good enough it's can yeah. you last long enough to figure out a way to make a living at it that's all it is at what point do you give up the dream and go back to the day job and so it's like you know that bridge is a really difficult thing for people to gauge and navigate independently especially yeah. you know 90% of the music industry these days, it feels like, oh, you're an amazing musician. Oh no, it's just your parents are rich and all your bills are paid and you can't afford to be a musician. Like it's a, you know, especially, yeah, it's just a different ballgame. So anyhow, I got very, yeah. very lucky. And that's, but the, definitely like me getting my start was definitely when I saw other names want to play my music. That's when I was just like, oh, cool. Well, if they're doing it, then maybe I'm good enough now. Let's go make some records. Yeah, so, you cannonballed in. You literally cannonballed in. You're like, I mean, all this shit. I'm gone. 100% all or nothing and almost quit like 3,000 times. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, man, because, you know, it comes up all the time. Like a lot of up and coming producers and DJs watch this show. And, uh, you know, I was talking to actually West End about this. And I was like, when would you do it? He's like, there's no when, it's your why. Why are you going to do it? Why are you going to fully commit to music? And it sounds like you realize that this is your true passion. This is what you love. 
Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, definitely always kind of been something that I've, I mean, there's nothing that I've ever loved more in my entire life than house music. It's always oh, kind of- Oh man, I love that. Um, but when, you know, when it comes to the, you know, that crossing that barrier, the answer is just be smart. Mm-hmm. Because you don't want to get stuck in the situation that I put myself in where you're so stressed out about trying to make a living that it's no longer fun. You're not enjoying the ride. You know, right. the, it, it's I, if I would have done it in if I would have done it in like I fast forward 10 or rewind 10 years ago or 11 years ago. And I was right. like, all right, cool. I'm going to do this. I would have kept my day job. Wow. And so worked, you know, that other five hours a night, five nights a week and gone out as many times as possible until I was comfortable enough to release the music and be able to, you know, uh, uh, kind of keep that cushion for me because the worst part of the world was being like, okay, cool. Awesome. I'm creative. I'm creative. I can't pay rent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that is worse than, that is worse of a, that's a, like, that's a real, that's a, that's a, yeah, really, really fucked up feeling to have. Um, and it, it stifles the creativity, puts too much pressure on the creativity and you end up doing stupid shit. Like I fucked up my career a lot of, like several times over and over and over again mm-hmm. uh, during that process, because at a certain point I had to sacrifice and make money. I had to sac, I, I took remixes. I didn't want to take I took kill fees I didn't want to take. I signed record deals I didn't want to take um, because it was, you know, almost out of necessity. So fortunately for me, I was able to kind of navigate and learn a lot over the last decade. Um, And and kind of like, you know, I'm still here, which is great. I'm grateful for, you know, Uh, but I evaded most of the super big pitfalls. But those are definitely like the challenges that I think producers face on a daily basis is how do you pay your bills with your art? And then once you're paying your bills with your art, how do you stay true to your art and still pay your bills? Like those are never ending conundrums that I think every artist in the world faces all the time. Right. No matter how big you are, <laughs> you, the so bigger true. you get, the bigger your expenses get. You know, these guys that you look at and you're like, oh man, that's their private jet and that's their, their, their Ferrari. <laughs> they got a lot to pay like, for it. They also have like a hundred something employees working for them. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Here's my media team. Here's my, my, you know, my production team. Here's my, you know, and you, you really like, I mean, I really, you know, I felt that even harder, especially during the pandemic when I talked to some of these, you know, some of my friends that, you know, are, you know, major, major artists, you know, they weren't really worried about themselves. They're worried about how did they go back on tour if all their, all their people underneath them, all their employees, all the people that built them to make them what yep. they are, would they all go and get other jobs? Cause they're like, well, fuck, I'm working in a grocery store right now because right now my resume doesn't really look good as a lighting technician. There's not a lot of jobs for that. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's a, yeah, it's definitely like, you know, the 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 perception of social media has definitely i think jarred what people's idea of like a producer and a music uh musician actually is you know it's it's uh it's definitely something i think that is there's a lot of smoke and mirrors just out there with social media just in general and yeah uh, imposter syndrome is real these days yeah you yeah you open up the closet and you're like oh man like there's a you know it's not it's not what it's necessarily perceived as so um i think that I think that just looking at, you know, the the game in general, I probably would have made sure that I always had like my bills always paid in other ways of making income mm-hmm. than just relying solely on music out the gate. Cause that leap is just, I think 99% of every DJ or every artist, every musician fails that. That's too, I was definitely one of the lucky, very, very lucky few that were able to 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 survive that fall. 
Wow. Yeah. I mean, incredible. I think part of the reason you're maybe in the position you're at now, which is having your hands in a lot of pots, like I said in the beginning, is because you were like, I got to find ways to make money. I got to start throwing events. I need to do remixes. I need to maybe open a label one day, right? It Was that part of the reason you've now become a, an expert on both sides of the industry? Um, you know, I don't think so. I think I just got really lucky. Okay. I think I got really, really lucky. Like I got, you know, I, I, I came up with a cool idea on the promotion side of things to get people together and mm -hmm. build communities. And I, I got very fortunate with that idea took off the way it did. I don't think that if that hadn't happened um, and worked out that anything in America would probably be as crazy as it is right now, to be fair. <laughs> wow. Um, I think that uh, that really got very, you know, very, very lucky idea that worked out in, in um, there's that aspect of it, but also during that, you know, during that tenure of this concept, this social concept and social experiment get crazy and get out of control during that. I was also very fortunate to, you know, focus in and, and work with a lot of artists that were very small at the time. Um, and they became the biggest artists in the world. Damn. So those big big artists became bigger than anything. They kind of dragged me along for the ride and yeah. always kind of helped me out too. Yeah. So it was kind of like this like serendipitous situation where I wouldn't be where I'm at right now if it weren't for the artists that I worked with in the beginning by any means. And I also wouldn't be where I'm at if, you know, I, I didn't get really fortunate with um, the, I guess, how do I put it? The Denver scene. I mean, yeah, I, I, I got, you know, if I don't think this would have happened if I was living in Hayes, Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. Definitely very fortunate and more luck than it was, than it was, you know, just, ah, I need to make more money. I'm going to work on this. I'm going to work on this. I'm going to work on this. Then when, when I started, you know, when I, I started, the one thing I did get very fortunate with was when I was working with a lot of artists, I could learn by speaking with them, like the struggles they had and figure out what I could do on my side of things yeah, to kind of not fall into a lot of those same pitfalls. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the problem with the game is no one teaches you anything. You just kind of like out there floundering, swimming. It's like you sink or swim. You're just kind of by yourself. You know, it's like, <laughs> they're going to make it or not. There's not a lot of people that kind of spit game and, and, and actually kind of like, hey, here's all the mistakes I made coming up right. and how you can stop doing that kind of thing. And so I was really fortunate to kind of be able to be in a situation where I was a promoter, where I would be able to, you know, learn a lot from a lot of the artists that were coming into the city and, and that we developed, that I developed friendships with and stuff yeah. to, to kind of understand the, the game and the way the game works more and more. Cause a lot of it is really smoke and mirrors. A lot of it is like yeah. wizard of Oz shit. There's this, <laughs> Oh, how did this person get famous behind the closet? Oh, yeah, for sure. And you don't really understand it. The public doesn't understand it. And then, yeah. when the, you know, the more that you work with in, in the industry, you can kind of kind of put two and two together. So the when I when I started diversifying and started, you know, when I when I built the when I built the first label, it was just me trying to figure shit out. And it yeah. didn't, it, it kind of flopped, but it was awesome. Right. When, I, when I started the second label, it was like I learned from all my mistakes the first time. And I was <laughs> all those mistakes so i figure i can make this thing work if i do sure. this this and this you know right and so um you know uh 
I definitely being able to be a, a, a promoter and be an artist and kind of never just cross those streams. Like I never, I never tried to be the promoter DJ. I never tried to do like the, the, the gig swapping and the right. oh, book me or I'll book you. Or like, I just always was like, if the music is going to hit and the records do well, then I'll go on tour. And if I put the records out and they flop, so be it. I'm cool. I'm staying home. I'm still a promoter. It's yeah. like giving you that blanket of having that day job again, where you're not strictly relying on paying your bills with touring right and not strictly yeah. relying on paying your bills with 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 uh with that side of things but you're still i mean still blessed to be in the music industry so right. if my my if my career was really hot for a minute then it was hot if if it started to fade and it dipped because i was concentrating on other stuff i was still technically in the game it's almost kind of like right. I'm, at poker, I'm at the poker table but i'm not just like all in all the time i'm just <laughs> yeah. sitting there there's my Annie chip. I don't like the river. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I don't like the flop. Okay, you know, it's kind of like, right. that'd be the best way to describe it. So I'm really fortunate that I was able to pay my bills in music and not necessarily strictly on just the artist side because that that would have put a tremendous amount more pressure on me for the last 10 years if I was just paying my bills strictly by DJing. For sure, Brennan. And, and I think there's something to be said, what you mentioned about relationships, you know, like these guys when they were small, these guys and girls, and then they blew up. How, I mean, how special is it to you now being in the game with them on these levels and, and being a part of that journey, you know, as cliche, as cliche as it is to say, it's all about the journey. It really is, man, because you just said it. You don't know what the destination is going to be. I don't know what I'm going to blow up. I don't know what I'm going to go down, but I'm going to enjoy the ride and I'm going to make sure what I'm doing, I love. And I feel like that's the most fulfilling part of this industry. Oh, that's the only, there's, that's the, that is the industry. That I mean, is the industry. Yes. Nobody, nobody is in this game. Nobody's in this game unless they love it. It takes too much work and there's too much sacrifice on the personal side of things. Like, yeah, I don't know how many hours a week I work and I don't know how many hours a week everybody around me works, you know, <laughs> a lot. and it's not necessarily to get rich or get a lot of money or clout or whatever. It's because, you know, they, they truly love their job. They truly love what they do. Like, especially as I've, you know how decimated we were during the pandemic as an industry as a whole yeah. like golly everybody who has a job right now in music is doing something in music right now they fucking love it because yep there's not there is no <laughs> there's no glamour anymore there's no there's nothing <laughs> hollywood got its ass kicked the music industry got its ass kicked i mean yep the biggest names in the world sitting there being like donate five dollars on twitch because <laughs> Like, you know, I, you know, I was like, you know, what they I'm didn't saying? know what to do. Nobody would know what to do. Yeah, sitting there in their living room, just like, this is cool, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, just, you know, I, I, um, yeah, I, I definitely feel like everybody that's in in it is definitely in it for the right reasons. They sacrificed a lot to 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 try and make it work, and that's why it's so important to support every artist you can. You know, um, yeah. there's a, it's it's definitely a labor of love. It's not something. You, oh, I just went to school for six years and. Now I get my entry level position here. And then this is what I'm expecting no. to make three more years. And this is, you know, it doesn't work that way. It's the weirdest industry in the world. You get paid, you get paid when you're hot. <laughs> when not, you're not. Like, it's, like <laughs> it's so, it's so toxic in a lot of ways, you know, yeah. 401k and this shit. So yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, I think there's definitely a labor of love for everybody that's involved. I mean, that is the industry is, is just loving, loving the art and making people happy. That's the, the two driving forces for sure. Completely agreed, brother. Completely agreed. Okay. So I want to, I want to get into some of your music, man. You got an incredible discography. It was so much fun running through all your tracks. Um, as much as I'd love to go deep on everyone, we just don't have the time, but I do want to talk about what I think is your first release 
to the Night EP on Velcro City Records. You remember this oh, one in 2012? My yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Velcro City. First uh first distributed record on a Let's real go. All right, let's check out one of Option 4's first tracks. This one's called Sunnyside, featuring Aubrey on Velcro City Records. That's that's Jay Shishlowski, fucking legend. What a wonderful dude. One of the best. Yeah. Has a great little record. VCR is awesome. Mm -hmm. um, it's got a ridiculously wildly diverse catalog. But yeah, I checked it out. Holy shit. I know it's like I, I, it's all over the place, but I just love that guy. And he he's one of the best label managers ever. Like the guy's extremely sharp and, you know, he gets a lot of licenses, de licensing deals for his artists and stuff and takes care of people like that's a great, 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 uh, great label. I'm very blessed that he let me release on it. <laughs> yeah, dude. And this was a four track EP and it was super unique for 2012 because it was like fusion of tech, acid, minimal funk. I mean, it was fun. All over the place. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was kind of like the MO though. You know, I never, I loved making, I love making music, but I was really, I, you know, I just, I never wanted to make the same song twice. Like I couldn't get into that formulaic kind of production mode. I was really scared to go down that route. Yes. Most to the detriment of my career. Cause a couple of, a couple, a couple of releases later after that, I had some big ones and then it got kind of intimidating for me because I, I didn't know really uh, if I wanted to continue doing it. So wow. yeah. That's a uh, old school. <laughs> that is, man. I mean, and and what a, a a special time though in in dance music. You know, in 2012, particularly in the U.S. I mean, that was the EDM boom, right? You know, the Alessos, the Swedish House Mafias, and I just fucking love what you just said, though, bro. Like, you didn't want to do the same thing twice, and that just really wrapped everything together in my head about your discography because you've made some fucking dope shit. But I'm not sure what some of it is, and I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it makes you feel better, I don't know either. Sometimes, yeah, I'm bro. I was just like, I've never heard anything like this, and that's refreshing I, for me as someone who interviews mostly people in house music, right? And I was like, this is fucking awesome. Well, a lot of it, to be fair, is dog shit. I think that, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, what I always liked about making music is I didn't want to be, you know, I was very fortunate. I've always been fortunate. Like, um, I didn't, you know, I was really fortunate that a lot of a lot of labels just kind of let me do what I wanted to do and yeah for sure not really a and r me too hard or do too much you know put too much like restriction on me and even if the records weren't like hot maybe like two or three out of 50 were going to be hot <laughs> they were going to bang and a lot of people were going to play them and then you know yeah. the other but you know what like I said I didn't really I wasn't really worried about that I just like the idea of making stuff and challenging my own self like I never like um it, it especially with the sample packs now and just like kind of the the way people produce music now a lot of it is very kind of like uh there's a there's a certain set of guidelines you kind of follow right 
And um, I think that's why a lot of stuff sounds like very homogenous in certain genres, for sure. I, I've, you know, I'm fortunate enough to just be like, you know what, I'm putting it out. And if it sucks, it sucks. But I liked it when I was writing it. So <laughs> for, sure. for sure, man. And I mean, once it's out, too, it's like the producer here. It's like you can be in your studio. And then once it's out to the world, you're like, is this the same song? I think yeah. it's it's funny. Like, uh, you know, um, I always have it. They are. I mean, for the most part, a lot of my records, they all kind of sound all over the place but there is still going to be some signature sounds that are like oh well i know i did that because i that's exactly what i yeah and that sounds kind of like what i did over here right not going to necessarily be in the you know in a formula at all for sure for sure yeah you you pull inspiration from everywhere man i mean and honestly you know whatever you say aside your label discography is still very impressive psycho disco box of cats thrive moody recordings of course hot boy which we'll talk about but there's one I want to bring up, Nervous Records, man. You've released a lot of great music with them, especially early on. For those that don't know, uh, this is one of the longest standing independent record labels, and they've just done incredible things since day one, always taking a willingness to new producers and sounds. And before we talk about your tracks, I mean, what's your relationship with these guys like? Uh, I love Andrew and Mike with my whole heart. Like, those boys are just legends in the game. You can't, you can't. There's, I, I put them on a pedestal, especially in America. Really? Yeah, for American labels to last that long and still have the impact and the ability, ability to do the stuff now. And they're working with like Louis Vega on the, the Grammy stuff. And just like, yeah. I mean, like what, yeah, they, they, what I love about Andrew, a fantastic AR. What I love about Mike is just a fantastic businessman. Like they stuck true. Like when Mike came back and like Mike returned and Nervous was back. I was just like, it made me really happy because it was like, you know, there's all this other music out there. We're just going to put out New York house. music. And yes, then, exactly. So I, uh, I really, you know, they weren't following a lot of trends or anything. And uh, you know, they're just uh, yeah. Tip top label. Uh, my, you know, I, I put out some of my favorite records of all time with those guys. And I, I, I try, if I ever going to send anything over to them, I'll, I'll give them my best work for sure. They're just uh they're great, great, great people. That's awesome, man. I always love to ask about that because, um, you know, I, I started working with the Hood Politics Records and uh, DJ Susan says what up, by the way. Oh, awesome. You booked him out in August at Vinyl, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to meeting him. Uh, he's coming out in a couple of months. <laughs> oh, you'll meet him for sure. He won't leave your side, bro. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a good time. But yeah, I, I, I love the, yeah, love the, love everything that, that he's got going on too. He's been really pushing a, a solid sound and getting a lot of people really hyped. I think like he's doing yeah. really well, it looks like. So for sure. And, and I think that there's, there's parallels there, you know, it's like a label these days needs to be so much more than just like some DJ who backs the label and drops the tracks. It needs to be like, once you join this label, you're part of the family. And I feel like that's nervous records, man. Like they, they've been in the game. They have people consistently released, but they take new chances. And that's why we try and do with hood politics. And like, we model a lot of the stuff after labels like them and um, take chances on records, right? Like that's what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to like, I mean, sure. It's, it's smart sometimes from a business perspective to, go with what's working but it's also not as much fun to say yo what the fuck is this track let's try and drop this shit right yeah no uh, yeah I, yeah basically yeah you just hit it on the head they've, <laughs> always, they've always been really really good about about giving people chances if they let, if they fuck with the records and you know they're just it's funny you get you get one record on nervous you get like 
promoters from Europe just like, hey, what's up? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> they, they fuck with it that hard. I know it's pretty cool. That's and they put out, to be fair, they put out some of my biggest records of all time. Like I still that love like no other record that I did with them in the beginning. I know you're gonna love this track. It's called Love Like No Other by Option Four on Nervous Records. man like that stands the test of time brother for sure downloaded it immediately that's on the usb and you know it's the highest <laughs> form of a compliment dj to oh you. thank you <laughs> yeah, no, that that record that was funny i i didn't know andrew um i didn't know him i uh, i like so <laughs> i had like very little money but i knew i knew when i when i wrote love like no other the the what i had this accident happen where i on the chord progression, on the last, you know, the last bar, um, I hit the wrong chord when I was playing it, but it gave it this dissonance. And it, like, what I kind of figured out, because I was, like I said, no one to teach me this shit. I'm not classically trained by any fucking thing. But oh, yeah. what was what was nice about it was, you know, if you take the bass note out, then it doesn't jar; it just stands alone as this like sound that hits the different register and sounds twerky but it doesn't sound like oh i made a huge mistake because yeah. the bass is on, right so even yes. though the chord is out of key when it's just by itself and a kick drum then you remove everything else around it then it's just a chord that sounds yes. a, a little wonky and so when that had happened um uh it really was intriguing to me and, and then that's what kind of flipped me to think well okay if we're gonna go along this way of making kind of like this groovy kind of new disco indie dance kind of record then we have to do the exact same thing and hit him with the most unexpected hardcore drop of all time yeah. <laughs> that record that record did yeah that record saved my life man um i didn't wow. i knew kind of had i knew i had a banger i knew i had something um and i just had to get it to them and so like i was like hey man like uh uh i ended up getting his email and sending him the record, didn't hear back. And then I emailed him again. I was like, hey, I'm going to be in New York this weekend. Um, I would love to come see The Office. Yes. And just kind of set that out there. And mm -hmm. he got back to me and was like, oh, if you're in New York, you should come by and, and take a look at, at The Office. And we're over here in Manhattan. And I wasn't going to be in New York. <laughs> so when he got back to me, I was like, oh. Oh, I am now. 
So I fought, I bought a flight the next day to fly to New York City and I flew to New York City. Um, and like, you know, I had no money. I, I barely had enough money for a hotel. Like I, I was taking, like <laughs> trying to figure out the subway system to get all the way over to everywhere I need to get to. So I finally get to Manhattan. I'm like five minutes early for the meeting. I'm like looking at this building and it's like on the 55th floor, like off, like right on wall street, like ballers. Oh, yes. I'm just like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, hustle up there. I walk in, I get on the elevator and I get to the, like I'm, I'm walking and I still, I still remember that shit. I got, I think I still have like the photo on Instagram from like 10 years ago or something, but like I get to the door and it's like nervous recordings and has like the, the, the engraving on the door. And I'm like, Oh man, this is legendary. Oh, it's real. Door, open it up. Mike is there. And he's like, Hey, what are you doing here? And I was like, hi, my name is Brennan. I was emailing Andrew. Uh, he told me I could come by and say hi. And he was like, oh, Andrew left. He went back to Long Island like two hours ago. He took the day off. Uh, he took like took off after lunch. And I was just like, oh, cool. Well, I was just in the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Like, oh, it was so, so funny. And then Mike felt all bad. And like he was like, oh, well here you go. Here's some stickers and here's a hoodie. Uh, thanks for coming by. And I was like, nice to meet you. Yeah. I, I, I uh, wanted to, you know, uh, yeah. Next time I'm in town or whatever, I'll come by and whatever. And I was like, super disappointed. Uh, you know, got to the hotel that night, flew out the next morning. I'd spent like my last, like I was, you know, I'm telling you, I was like flat broke. And then I get the email like then Monday after, and it's from Andrew. And he's like, dude, I'm so sorry. I missed you. Uh, Mike said you came by, blah, 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 blah. Hey, I finally listened to the demo. I like this record a lot. What are you going to do with it? You need a B-side if you want to do whatever. Like, And then that's how the, like, basically the record got signed is like this pity thing. He finally listened to it. Fuck because it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he felt so bad that he blew me off. <laughs> But then, you know, the record came out and it did real good. It got me like my first agent, you know, and then, you know, he was he was working on Bonobo. So I was getting on like Bonobo support gigs because I was making Thanks. like this kind of left field shit. And, you know, that was like what got me into the game, I guess. Like I finally started being able to tour as opposed to just being like a local artist. So that that record, that story is really funny. I don't know if I ever told Andrew that or not. I'm not sure if I did. But Well, we uh, got to send this to him. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, legends. Like uh, glad that he took a chance on the record because uh, that's a label that if you get a record on and it is a good record, it can it can do, you know, it can make serious rounds for sure. Unreal, man. That's fucking awesome. And, and pretty embarrassing, but pretty funny. <laughs> what a great story. Yeah, that that is like <laughs> you just literally explain the story as what you said earlier, man. It's a labor of love, bro. Like you literally were just like, all right, I'm doing it. I'm going by myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, getting stuff signed, the eternal struggle, right? The eternal struggle, man. Yo, I respect that shit though. That was old school style. Hey, I'm knocking on your fucking door, man. I'm here. Right? Not following yeah. up on this email, not hitting <laughs> you up on Insta. I'm that, here. That doesn't mean anybody can knock on my door now. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing. I'm just joking. I'm That's just joking. Hilarious. I fucking love that, man. Just so funny. cool. So cool. Uh, another great track that you did with Nervous too with Worthy Dance Around. This track is so fucking raw, man. It's underground energy. Um, I mean, Worthy is such a special producer. And, and this was in 2018, too. So it was like, you know, house music was starting to really get its get its wings. Uh, I remember that was when I feel like it was not getting commercialized, but like people were respecting house music in the U.S. much more. And I feel like this track really envelops all of that. All right, let's check this one out together. It's called Dance Around by Option 4 with Worthy 
on Nervous Records. If you're feeling like we're feeling, just touch the ground. If you're feeling like we're feeling, just dance around. If you're feeling like we're feeling, just touch the ground. If you're feeling like we're feeling, just dance around. If you're feeling like we're feeling, just touch the ground. If you're feeling like we're feeling, just dance around. If you're feeling like we're feeling, just touch the ground. If you're feeling like we're feeling. with her um yeah we we've been friends for a very long time and so uh anytime i get to do anything with her i'm always like i'm i'm always am that's one of the one of probably my most like one of my closest friends that in the dj world or whatever that i've that i've had the the, the pleasure of getting to know we oh that's awesome for a very very long time and to see her progress and now the stuff she's making now is crazy she was showing me stuff the crazy. Album. i was just like oh my goodness this is some of your best shit ever um she's, but yeah, her, she's I, like she's like i'm me like fully on worthy and it's like fuck yes inspiring so many people yeah she's 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 uh i'm really really happy to see her bloom and her creative her creative you know direction with the new music is I can't wait for everybody to hear it because I've heard it and I'm like, man, it's banger. But yeah, I love, I, I love that record that we did. Um, it was, it was definitely aggro energy kind of thing. Like we were like trying to get it. It's a club record for sure. Right, right, right. When we were making it, we made a few others that day, um, and it was all. Well, she won't tell you this, but there was one really like after like 30 minutes we're like this is too dark why is there a gunshot going on why are we, <laughs> happening? we had to like go outside and like get our chi right and come back in the studio work on something a little more positive and then that came out but yeah that was a uh, uh yeah definitely love working with her and she's uh she's one of my favorite people oh my god that's so funny why is there a gunshot in this yeah there was i'm not kidding she'll deny it but there was there was like some really hood ass record we were making or something i don't know it was like we i don't know there there was a gunshot sampled and we were like oh my god what are we doing (laughs) you strike me as someone that likes to collab in person though is that true um well i got that from i got that from chris um manic he was a legendary uh house producer from new york uh worked with josh wink obam records just fucking legend beyond legend um one of the one of the coolest one of the coolest people in the world just love that kid to death um but uh yeah chris we 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 decided one time he was like um, he saw i was in la he's like yo why don't you come to the studio i'm working on my album like come do like a, a voice drop for my album and i was like all right cool i'll, I'll come over to the studio and then while we were fucking around with synths and stuff we were like you want to just make a record and see what happened and within like an hour we had written just banger like banger 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 record wow. and we were like oh well maybe there's something here. Maybe, maybe I'll come back tomorrow and we just see whatever. And I think within like two days, 
we had written like six or seven records or something. And they Damn. were all, some never came out, but a lot of them all got signed. That 909 till infinity project was like the funnest project ever, but it was also like a side project. We weren't trying to necessarily tour it. We only played a couple of shows, like one in San Diego, one in Denver or something. We only played a couple of shows yeah. as that project because our sounds were so different. I was kind of making tech house. He was making proper house kind of, yeah. at the time, you know? So it was like, we couldn't do stuff solo really on the same, it wouldn't work, but with that project, we would just make super unique records. And the rule of thumb was if he was coming to Denver, he would work in my studio. If I was out there, we work in their studio, but we yeah. didn't want to do the thing where you were like sending stems and it would go too far of a different direction if we yeah. weren't constantly like check each other. So I think it's really, I mean, collabs over online and stuff are one thing, but I think it's really, really important to be when you're working with somebody, at least for me, anyhow, I enjoy working in person as a collab a lot more because it's so much more hands-on. There's so many more, oh, I don't like this direction. You stop it right then, you know? I want to go this direction. You go that direction. They come up with a little idea. If you're right there and you're like, before they give up on the idea, you're like, oh my God, that idea is amazing. Keep yep. running. You get that assurance or whatever. You can't do that if you're getting stems every other week, right? Because you don't know how many things had happened to the record before you get them back. So yeah, yeah for collabs, I'm big on being in the studio with the people because um, it just made, it, it, it adds that, that that's the only way I think records really truly feel like representation of both artists you know absolutely you want that 50 50 fusion it's all about the energy in the room man i feel like i just that's that's my favorite part about music like i just said like i want to hang out i want to make music i want to talk music you know i want to grow together and like collabing is such a fun part of the industry and i feel like we have seen that so much more since the pandemic when artists had more time to actually be like yo fucking i'm making something totally new I want to collaborate with this person. I don't have to think I need a track that's going to take me on tour. I don't have to think I need a track that's going to get me on this label. I just want to have fun making music again. And that's why I feel like we're in this revolution where it's like, there's no more genres for the most part, man. You know, like people are fucking fusing shit together and it's just such a special time in electronic music. Yeah, I think that's the best part about the pandemic is the creative freedom that it gave artists across the board. Everybody's making different shit. Everybody yeah. And part of that is also, too, I mean, if there are no clubs and there's no parties, you're not sitting there in your living room listening to club music. It, it <laughs> yeah, loses no, I don't want it. to. It's sad. <laughs> it loses a lot of its, yeah, it loses a lot of its luster, you know. Um, and I think that that's kind of the, I mean, you, there's so many artists coming out with so many cool new things, so many experiment, not even experimental, I should say, because I guess everything has always been whatever, but there's a lot of people playing in very weird tempos, like much faster than traditionally ever get booked in a club, you know, like a lot of it's kind of like left field break stuff, the Jensen Interceptors and the, you know, uh, yep. some of these, uh, some of these, some of these artists that are making stuff that's just way out there and still making it work in like a club setting now, that wouldn't have happened in 2020 if we didn't have the pandemic for sure. Those, those artists would have you know, not probably been able to tour maybe as much as they are now too. So it's pretty cool to see. Um, yeah. And it's really cool to see a lot of this like experimental stuff kind of be at the forefront because without a club, you know, people have a little bit more freedom to, to, to kind of make what they want to listen to or make how they feel too. You know, yeah. maybe if you're always feeling like everything's a party because your life is a party, you're making club bangers <laughs> every day because you're on tour every weekend and you're making, right, right, right. you can see like the whole, like if that, all the DJs are doing that, of course, that's going to be kind of like the energy that you <laughs> put out. They're not going to be sitting there being like, man, I'm at the club, but I can't play this record because 
no one will like it in the club. Right. You know, they're going to make the record that they think is going to work in their sets or they're excited to experiment with. I mean, road testing records and road testing records before you sign them was everything, you know, okay. still kind of is in a lot of ways when, sure. when, when you're touring heavily. But yeah, absolutely. I think that's the best part about the pandemic for sure is just the creative freedom, seeing all these other artists bubble and all these other independent promoters doing all these uh, different parties and non-traditional venues, you know, like, the more the merrier. I think it's been really exciting and cool to see. And that, that's happening everywhere in America, for sure. Absolutely. Speaking of creativity, we got to talk about your releases on Club Sweat. You, you have to tell me these, these tracks, man, because you released them all in one year and they are wild names. The Rise of the Cat Lord, The Vicious Rule of Safa, The Deadly Dance of Rigatoni Rodriguez. I was like, what am I? Are you kidding me? <laughs> the melancholy tribute of Bodie Page, the art of the betrayer. I'm like, is this like a fucking novel? Like crazy, bro. And they're all so fucking different. And on Club Sweat, I was like, yo, option four is a fucking legend for this. Okay, come on. You know we have to listen to this one together. It's called The Rise of the Cat Lord by Option Four on Club Sweat. I can't believe they let me do that. It was really awesome. I love those guys and I love the sweated out boys. I, the, yeah. I, just love death. Um, I think, uh, yeah, they, the, it was all part of like a graphic novel series that I, I got obsessed with writing and I'm not a good writer and I don't know what punctuation is. So <laughs> I, I got treasure fingers actually to illustrate all of those people that are all of those people and all the names are actually all just real life friends of mine in Denver. And so <laughs> We we went and took, we went and took photos. Uh, we took photos of of them and then made uh, and Ashley was able to illustrate them like a comic book. So we told the story on these like on on these comic books that would come out with the with the records. So like it's about the Cat Lord and his rise in this dirty city called Denver. <laughs> Why, Nick, bro? Fucking unreal. Oh, so funny. Um, yeah, I, I, um, I had a lot of fun writing those records and and working with all my friends. Like uh, every single one of those people that like the record is named after. The Betrayer is a legend in Denver. Uh, he moved to New York. His name is Rayer, but Rayer the Betrayer. You can put it together. <laughs> uh the cat lord is uh my boy davy he throws really dope techno parties let's go cat lord that's my favorite track <laughs> yeah, too. cat lord is the, the dude but um yeah so those are all just like records mimicked off friends that i have in denver and, and we just did the comic book and wrote this ridiculous story because i think i was smoking too much weed at the time but <laughs> yeah, it was definitely definitely a lot of fun and you know shout out sweat it out for being the best record label ever just getting behind creative stuff they're just the best 
hundred percent, man, dude. I was dying at the deadly dance of Rigatoni Rodriguez. <laughs> the deadly dance of De- you don't want to fuck with Rigatoni Rodriguez, bro. I was like, I don't know who Rigatoni Rodriguez is, but I don't want to run in front of him in an alley. <laughs> Such a legend. That's my boy Jeremy. He's he's a legend in Denver, man. Legend. I, I, it's not a party unless Jeremy goes. I can honestly tell you, those are by far the most creative names I've ever heard in dance music. I mean, oh man, yeah, they, I'm I'm surprised they weren't Billboard hits. Now that I think about it, <laughs> you had it all, man. That's more than music. That's when we take the fucking music from the sound to real life. I mean, yeah, it was a, that was a really, really, really fun set of what a fun fun record to make. It was a, it was going to call come out all at once, but we decided to break them up and do them into singles. So uh yeah there's no there's no theme but the the name of the album was the rise of the cat lord and that was going to go on but i um uh never finished any more on that series um because time and everything else but yeah, yeah hey, that, was a, that was a lot of fun i don't know if you've talked about it again before but we'd love to hear fucking the sequel bro come on <laughs> gotta hug the holler at the cat lord find out why is it the cat lord too <laughs> yeah what happened was netflix didn't give me a season two yeah netflix. we need a season two <laughs> gotta holler at the bosses i gotta go talk to gotta go talk to the boys over at sweat it out and say look though season two the fans need it it's too funny we need a cat lord tour too <laughs> this could be a play this could be a musical i mean my it's mind is musical fun. that's what i'm saying like a little pre-show before the club everybody set up a little stage <laughs> smacking in there a little cosplay that's the move our branding is on point let's go on point that's what i'm talking about (laughs) (laughs) absolutely cracking me up bro okay um so i want to get in a little more into hot boy records uh we've mentioned a few times i do want to talk about your track big grin with born dirty love this track it's called big grin by option four with born dirty on hot boy records track is so fucking dope man and and you've only released three tracks here on label but this one is like very special track and born dirty of course is a incredible producer um what did you guys make this one in person yeah we made every record yeah we i've never made a record with anybody online um oh that's that's official that's your rule yeah i don't i don't think it it just it doesn't there's not enough it's just i don't believe in it um but uh yeah when it comes to when it comes to working with when it comes to working with Mika that's just an honor and a privilege we played a party in Seattle together um shout out noise complaint best promoters in the country I always tell everybody hell yeah I went and went and played a party in Seattle um and got to know Mika there and 
I was in LA uh, for something, for another show or something. And we, he was like, invite, invited me to the studio and we kind of fucked around, but not really did anything. And then he was out in Denver for a festival or something. I can't remember what he was out here playing, but um, he came out to Denver to play and he came over to my studio and we worked on that record at my studio. And um, uh, yeah, he, that, that there's, I can't explain. There's like, there are a small group of producers in the world that I would consider almost kind of like super producers. Yeah. Like so talented thinking so far ahead of the game. So unbelievably like I would put Mika in that, in that ball game, as far as talent, as a producer, man, like there's not a lot of people that can be as diverse as him and sonically get the range that he gets out of, uh, out of all of his samples and synths, man. Like they, I, uh, we made a couple records a little while ago. Um, and I was literally blown away, like blown away at the attention to detail on the smaller side of things that, you know, sometimes producers obsess over, but he does it to the thousand degree, <laughs> like a thousand degree, like for producers like me to shame in a lot of ways. He's, uh, he, it's, it's wildly impressive how good that guy is in the studio and, wow. you know, he, he can do anything. It's, it's literally mind boggling. This is, it's the, it's also, I mean, this is like his fourth or fifth project, but he's got other projects he's never even released. And you watch like the films behind him. He scored, dude, the guys, it's out of control. Like just, really? it's awe inspiring in a lot of way. Um, in a lot of ways, how much beautiful music that guy can make. He can sing, he can play the guitar, he can play bass. He can- He's a savant. Yeah, fucking He's like, next level out there me i'm like oh, i love the fact that i found out something that i could do without this key change here that i don't yeah. really describe it was pretty cool and became a hit like he's just like a monster you know and so yeah. yeah that i was glad to get that record and yeah i don't i was really hesitant you know when the label started getting bigger and bigger after i put the first record out i was really scared to put after i put out lifeline i was really scared to put out um any more on the label um, because I really, once it started becoming like a vessel and it started becoming something that I could use to promote other artists, it's almost the same exact opinion of what, you know, like when I became a promoter and started throwing parties, the parties didn't really get good until I took myself off the parties. Wow. Like when you start creating that vessel and that platform for people, like it really expands and goes to a whole new level when you're using that as you should to promote other artists. So that's why I very rarely play in Colorado. It's why I very, I, I very, I mean, maybe once in a billion years, I'll play like my own party. Although I am playing my own party on Saturday. I'm oh, open yeah. to a pop-up club. Um, but uh, yeah, like my, my, my thing is like, I, you know, the same thing came with the record label. It was like, if I wanna see this thing grow and be this thing to be able to springboard artists and build, you know, the, the the hot boy thing is very calculated. There was a lot of steps that were about to happen in 2020 that I think were going to be very revolutionary for the industry just in general. And um, I uh, was well on my way, at least I thought, to being able to accomplish those goals with with the label. But a lot of it was trying to remove myself from the equation as much as possible because yeah. when you're letting other, you're using it to push other people. What that does is not like the whole bullshit. All tide, the tide rises with all ships, or all ships. Yeah, rise. yeah, yeah. What it what it actually does is it allows you um, to 
be underneath and associate and push these other artists in your market and in your sphere of influence. And as that grows, what that does is it makes everybody else bigger. It makes the ability to put on tours where these artists are associating with these artists and they wouldn't have had that association before if they didn't have the umbrella to be under. And so, you know, um, removing yourself from the equation is the most important part about that because if it's just about you, you're isolating the ability for these artists to be collabing together. You're isolating these artists to be, uh, it's like the artists are underneath you in some way, shape or form. And so when I built like the label, I saw that the end and the way to make it really successful was make it more about the brand and the party as opposed to making it about option four or or my personal career. Because in the end, the the main thing is like, you know, I really didn't, you know, I don't, I, I got, I got enough parties in Denver to sustain myself. I got enough of, you know, people that I look after here that I don't need, you know, the, that gig money to, to pay my rent. Yeah. It was more along the lines of how can I use that to sustain the artists that are using that to pay their rent or I'll pay their bills. Right. How can I use that to build a platform so that it becomes so strong and the brand becomes so loved that they feel like, the artists are getting the proper shine and they're getting the proper uh, attention that they deserve when you're throwing these parties that it allows them to get bigger because the bigger they get, the bigger the label gets, which will only in turn make, you know, the ability to springboard more artists a lot easier and, uh, and create that culture around, uh, around a brand, as opposed to, Hey, this is my label and I'm releasing 17 times on it instead of putting out 17 other artists. Like, you got a choice there. And to me, it was like, I was very, especially after Lifeline kind of did what it did and became kind of like this very catchy cult record. Yes. I was like, I got to be very careful about releasing on the label from here on out. So the collab with Born Dirty was like one of those things we put out, we did it as a collab. Um, I love Mika and that was a really fun, a fun project, but it, you know, out of what, 27 releases on the label, it was really important that, 20 of those were not option four records. Yeah. I didn't want to, build, I didn't want to build a platform just so I would be able to release music. And the other thing is this, if I wasn't getting my music signed on other labels, then that doesn't validate the label either. You know, does that make sense? Yes. It's like, if I'm throwing, if I, I look at it in the same way as like the promoter mentality, if I'm promoting this party and I'm in charge of the booking and I'm just booking myself over and over and over again, yeah. that doesn't give me any, there's no, checks and balances. There's no quality control. There's no, you know what I'm saying? And so it's more important for me to release on other record labels and get my art out that way than it would be to release on my own label because there's going to be somebody that says, hey, this is not good enough. This isn't a fit. This isn't the right vibe. This isn't whatever. There's going to be somebody that's going to say, this is a dope record and I fucking love it. And they want to push it and promote it. Sweet. That works out great because I've already got this vessel built that I'm promoting other artists on and trying to build these bridges where they don't exist. Yeah, I, I think there's so much to take away from what you just said there. And I think I, I started throwing my own parties because I wanted to play house music, right? And I couldn't get gigs because it's Chicago. There's a lot of house DJs here. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll be able to book myself as a headliner, right? Like selfishly. And the second that I started throwing parties, I was like, you know what? Like I'm either going to take the first spot or I'm not going to be on the lineup, but I'm going to push it hard and I'll play other shows. It brought more people to mind because it gave 
me that validity that, hey, Sherm does all these other cool things. If he's throwing his own party and he's not even DJing, he's just going to be there, right? I'm going to go. And it's it's a tough thing to do, especially when like you do want to be an artist, right? But that's a very mature way to put it is like put others before yourself. And in turn, everyone can grow together. Yeah, I mean, the, the, yeah, I think, I mean, especially for where, you know, the bigger the parties get to and the more, you know, the bigger the sizes of the events that, you know, you work on, it really is, I mean, you kind of look at it like, you know, if you're, if you're an independent artist and you're going to try and make that jump that we talked about in the beginning of the conversation and try and take it for real and try and pay your bills in music and try and navigate, how can I pay my bills and still produce and be an artist and eventually go on tour and that'll be my full-time gig. You have to use these opportunities and these looks and you have to use these, these, put these, you know, artists in positions to do that. Yeah. If you're already throwing the, all the biggest parties and playing all the biggest parties and you're just always <laughs> on the line, you don't give a chance for anything else to grow. And I guess that can kind of work if you are the hottest shit since sliced bread, but I'm not. So it's really, <laughs> really easy to kind of look at it in the sense where you go, man, you know, um, if I'm, you know, if I'm booking Red Rocks and I've got some ridiculously dope lineup and 10,000 people, I want to try and reward those slots and push for those slots for these artists that have a chance. Right. And so, you know, working on the local scene as a promoter and working as an artist and a DJ, I've got you no, know, you know, I've got local artists in Denver now that are putting tickets on the board. They're selling real tickets. They have real fans for them, for their art. And if you're always kind of like putting yourself above all those people, it fucks up the dynamic and you don't give a chance for any of the undergrowth to breathe because the next Jamie Jones is out there the next chris lake is 17 right now the next whoever they're there and if you if you if you're not trying to figure out ways of elevating those people to have those opportunities then you know um that's how scenes shrink you know that's how you become hayes kansas where there's one promoter throwing one party (laughs) you know you have to you have to really try and like fan the flames of of supporting as many independent artists as possible and booking as many people as possible, giving as many people as many chances to play as possible. Cause when I moved to Denver, there was nobody that would let me play either. I couldn't get a gig. Right. Damn. um, I had to do the same thing. I created my own party, created my own marketing entity, created my own everything. And then at that time it started, you know, it was bubbling so hard and becoming so big, so fast. Yeah. Like, It was a situation where the only way it could grow is if I removed myself from the equation and let everybody else thrive and have a piece. Because I remember what it was like when I moved to Denver and no one would give me a gig. Right. So um, that's where kind of things have really thrived in Colorado. Like we have a tremendous amount of parties. Now there's a tremendous amount of promoters. Everybody's throwing a party. Everybody's (laughs) all kinds of stuff. And it's just that's the real strength of a scene is, is when there's multiple inputs involved and multiple different culture is kind of doing their own thing as opposed to, you know, just one person trying to run it all. (laughs) (laughs) Amen, man. Was that one of the reasons you want to start hot boy though, is, is to give other artists that chance to grow? No. Um, that, that came as like a, a, a byproduct. Okay. That came as a byproduct. Um, when I wanted to start hot boy, I wanted to have fun with building something that I thought was very important at the time. Um, which now is very common knowledge, but basically I had like a five-year plan to do 
the label, like in the branding and everything was more about a war on social media. I always felt like social media was like the most poisonous thing in the world. So all of, uh, all of the branding is these big events or these things that happened before social media. Right. So all of it, everybody was like, well, you're just like ripping off the nineties and putting nineties stuff on there, but they couldn't, you know, I was building the bridge through the Instagram and through artwork on the visuals and, and the artwork on the, the artwork on the, um, you know, the releases and the merchandise, especially to eventually link that bridge to being like, okay, cool. In five years, this is why, you know, now the pandemic hit and everybody realized how poisonous social media was, but you know, when I started the label, it was more about a social statement than it was about the music yeah. um, and about like a platform because, you know, I started Hopley Records with $500. I paid $500 for the logo and I had $500 that I paid for merch. And <laughs> like, I, that was, that's what I started with, you know, when I, when I built it. So there was no platform to build other artists. There was nothing, you know, there was nothing. So once it started to get bigger and became this, like, you know, when the parties, you know, started popping in the 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 other artists started you know all his artists started sending me stuff that you know it got it got to the point where then it was like okay cool we're using this platform to strategically build these artists from europe into america and then uh the goal would be in a couple of years to start building u.s artists in europe trying to get hot boy in europe is it was the end goal and so i had all these plans on to do it but the reason that label came about was more of a social statement than it was like a business decision it was like yeah i'm going to tell the story through art and through really smart branding and through very aggressive uh kind of like i mean very kind of political in nature uh, a lot of like the, the especially like the early merch especially you know some of that yeah. stuff now I don't know if I'd release from the backlash of the internet, you know, so much. <laughs> and I don't know if I'd release a lot of the artwork anymore that, you know, nowadays I don't think it's necessarily appropriate, but I, uh, you know, that was, that was more of the mission with the label. It wasn't, I'm going to make a label to build up artists that had nothing to do with Fuck it. No. Yeah. More of a, a personal social vendetta against, um, against technology. And so that's why all of the, all of the branding and all of the, Art all came from everything before social media. Be like, oh, yes, we're gonna so sell, sick. We're gonna show this very shocking event or something that would have been viral. At if it would have been viral, if the internet was there, then we were gonna make an image of it, or we were gonna put it on a record, or we we're gonna put it on the artwork for the release. Um, and and that was kind of like the the mode for it. But it wasn't this like, oh, I'm gonna build a label to build a platform for people. <laughs> Because there was no idea, there was no hope. I mean, there was no dream that the platform would exist. It just right. off. I mean, the merch especially. I mean, we would drop them. We drop. We 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 make one post, zero money spent behind it all, and sell ten thousand dollars of the merch in an hour. Like it would sell out, be gone forever, and then we'd have That's to make it. And we take the money and we, you know, with the merch, it would be able to pay for the proper PR and proper promo for the, for the records. Cause you know, that's where you're not going to make your money. You're not going to make your money on an independent label by just selling your records or getting streams, unless you sign a record like word and get very fortunate and come up with a good plane. And you know, that, 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 <laughs> like that'll do it, but right. the majority of the music is not going to. So um, yeah, hot boy was definitely more of a social statement than it was um, a, a commercial vessel. I love that. You, you're fucking righteous about it, man. Like political and it's nature, like you said. I, I've never heard anybody that started a label for that reason. Like for the people, honestly, like for you, for the people and for fucking fans of the music. And that's unheard of to sell that much merch with no PR behind it and shit. That's dedicated fans. 
yeah, we we have a really, really strong fan base in the label. It's pretty crazy. But we also did a lot of really cool stuff just for the fans. Yeah. So like if they did buy a T-shirt, I would always sneak something extra in the package or, you know, like I came up with the whole like, you know, when we did the trading cards, you know, one out of every 10 pieces of merch would get a pack of the trading cards. But one out of every 10 of those packs would have a special card in that would get them guestless for life to anything I did. You know, wow. You know, there's like this cult phenomenon that happens with the with the label because we always went above and beyond just selling stuff it wasn't about selling product as much as it was trying to tell a story and connect with them and so for how small the label is it had a dramatic impact and you know we sold out 70 percent of our shows you know in 2019 for the country so it definitely you know was was is really cool to see and it's probably the coolest thing about it all i mean obviously the bigger names on the tour and you know the 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 big names that will play on uh, underneath the umbrella obviously help but really cool to see just like you know, I was getting photos all weekend long. Everybody's wearing my merch. And I was like, man, that shit's like four years old. And they still kept, <laughs> I got people with like, haven't opened it out of the package. Cause they, Damn. You know what I mean? they still have it all pressed and shit. And so, Holy shit. That's fucking old school, man. That's like when you got the yeah. bobbleheads and shit. Yeah. It's like, uh, the idea is to, to, you know, when, when I restart the label to take a lot of time to make sure that that experience is still intact and hopefully we can still, uh, you know, treat people with something fun to look forward to. That's a little different than just like, you know, going to the store and buying a shirt. Oh man, that's amazing, bro. And, and props to you though, on this discography though, because the tracks are so sick. I mean, Steve Darko, Bach, Kyle Watson, Kevin Knapp, Ways and Odyssey, the Max Chapman track, by the way, I'm so glad that I found that. Cause that's a fucking roller banger roller. roller. Bro. Like, yeah. I don't think people, not enough people know about that track. I just, I just fucking told the people right now, but <laughs> yeah man it's a roller yeah it everybody, is. everybody always kind of gave me their best work for sure or definitely like, at the time the coolest records like i was really blessed with with a lot of really good demo submissions from some very i mean remarkably ta- talented producers absolutely kyle watson is one of the most unique producers in the game legend man legend i got to say hang with them this weekend it was good to catch up that's fucking I actually awesome. fucked up that release i actually i actually fucked that release up i did I, you I, yeah he sent me the sent me the like the the master demo and somehow i got it goofed up with the final master and so (laughs) i uploaded the wrong record and kind of fucked everything up on that one but he was cool about it we got it switched but still there you go you're good what was uh what was that moment like though when you got word by walker and royce vanessa i mean was did you know it was going to be a hit i mean it's i mean it's phenomenal track but what it's done for house music i feel like is a global impact to be honest with you bro if you're a house music fan and haven't heard this track, we're about to rock your world. This one's called Word by Walker and Royce featuring Vanessa on Hot Boy Records. All I wanna do is follow you, just say the word. Word? Just say the word. The 
I mean, yeah, I when I heard it, I was scared of it. Um, <laughs> you were scared. <laughs> yeah, I was scared of it. Um, the first time I heard it, like, um, like, yeah, it was, it was, it was really worrisome to me. <laughs> That's um, not what I thought you were gonna say. <laughs> Well, you see, the thing about it was I was an independent, smaller label. It's just me coming up with ideas, right? So mm-hmm. um, when an artist the size of Walker and Royce had sent me such a big tune, yeah. I was really scared of fucking it up and really scared yeah. if I put it out, it wouldn't get the shine that it could have gotten on like Dirty Bird or one of the bigger bigger labels. And um, essentially what happened was like, Barkley wasn't really into the record that much initially. Um, it took a while for it to grow on him, I think, but he wasn't really, you know, into the the, the record. And Walker and Royce, um, they fucked with my label. Oh, they fucked with me. We were friends forever, you know. I've been right, 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 right. They were playing my very first parties, you know, back in the day when they were on, you know, Moda Black and shit. Um, and uh, they, they, I signed one of their first records on my very first label, like eight years ago, ten years ago, Night Supply. <laughs> Um, so we'd been friends for a long time and they had sent me the tune and I was, I was, you know, I heard it and I was like, man, this is probably going to be a number one probably, but I told him that I was scared to sign it. Cause I, if I fuck up something that big, that could be that big for their career. It could be, you know, something that I would feel really guilty about. So it was intimidating to me to sign a record that big. Um, and so when they were kind of insistent on it, I had to kind of put my thinking cap on and figure out exactly how I was going to do everything I could to make sure I didn't fuck it up. Because mm-hmm. there was already like articles on Reddit and shit asking about the record. Like Chris Lake had already played it. People were like, where is this record? <laughs> you know, they don't, they don't even know I got it. They don't know. I play the record and it's like, way so big so unique and you know with Vanessa's vocal the boot was so like kitschy and you know like it's such a well-crafted beautiful song yeah um and so impactful you know on the dance floor just impact you know I feel like everybody in America knows that record I feel like it's yeah insane but for sure um how I was able to like I just had to I had to put my thinking cap on I was like all right I'm gonna come up with a marketing plan for this record and I'm gonna spike the fuck out of this thing and we're gonna go number one on Beatport because I got a game plan so I put together this game plan that worked with like the merch. And I was like, well, you know, if I spend and make really expensive merch, that's like no fucking around merch, right? Yeah, I'll spend yeah. the $38 on the t-shirt to make the t-shirt, the best t-shirt in the game. We'll spend the $4,000 and I'll put that into the marketing budget on this record because if it goes number one, the label will get the money back. And so it'll be all right. But if it, if, if it doesn't go number one, so fucking what people are going to get the coolest shirt ever. And that record's going to be big. So, or at least a staple of the label. And so when I got the, um, I kind of got the game plan together. I made a hundred of these shirts. I spent the $4,000 on the merch and I let them post that if they bought and pre-ordered the record at the same time on the same day before it came out, the first hundred people to do it would be able to get the t-shirt and we'd figure out what their sizes were and we're going to mail it out to them. Yeah. And so they only spent a dollar, but they got this very rare t-shirt and our merch was already really sought after to begin with, because we'd already kind of built that reputation for the right. merchandise. So when that rec- when they posted that shit and then we all posted it, first hundred people to buy it gets a word shirt, you know, 
all these sales spiked on Bport way before on the pre-order before it came out. Wow. So out of nowhere, there was like a thousand orders or some shit for this record. Holy shit. It was like putting us on the same level as like the big defected records and the big records at the time on the, on the store. Um, and that wasn't including when it goes public and it's actually on sale, you get all those records. Right. So, right. you know, we had this, uh, uh, kind of like this super cyan like way of, getting everybody and everybody in denver was trying to get it and all these people at the parties were trying to get it yeah the shirt was fire because the logo is fire because the artwork is fire <laughs> our artwork was always the best i always worked with the best artists the way chen jerry's one of the best people on earth man so fucking talented i mean all the artists i worked with were just top notch so anyway we we were able to kind of like super spike this record that we already kind of knew was going to be a big record but no one really had ever heard of hot boy defected hadn't heard of hot boy no you know <laughs> so um you know i i remember when we, we the record goes up and all of a sudden the first day it's like 17 overall and i'm like whoa we broke not just like you know b-boy is a funny thing like they'll have like you see every local dj in the world number one on releases but releases are just what happens in the geo tagged area right of, that whatever so it's not like the actual top 100 and it's not right yeah and it's not top 100 on the actual genre either it's just that's why people have like a number two overall on releases and then two days later it's gone yeah and so like when we hit number 17 overall the first day i was looking at my partner and i was like bro like i think maybe it might have worked maybe yes. but we weren't sure because you know the the things were fresh and go you know some of the next 24 hours all of a sudden at 6 a.m i get a phone call from my partner he's like holy shit like what he's like dude we did it it's number one in the world like it hit number one overall in like 27 hours or some shit and i was just like mind blown like we were popping bottles we were celebrating <laughs> trick the system you know yes um, and it really kind of put you know it, it was obviously a very i mean i think a very impactful for walk, record for walker and royce and I had just a lot of relief on my end that i didn't fuck up their career right so, um, <laughs> you, you did know, it I, man i uh i think awesome. it you know i think it definitely was a very symbiotic relationship and i still to this day have a very close relationship with those guys and you know i work with them on every level that i can on the promotion side and you know helping build their profile so wow it, it was really cool to see that all happen but it was definitely you know like I said, a couple of good ideas got very lucky and they just kind of worked out. So really grateful that it did, but it definitely kind of took the trajectory of Hot Boy and put it on a different level. I don't know if that record hadn't gotten so big and the merch hadn't gotten so big that we wouldn't have been able to, you know, we wouldn't be able to sell out all the shows that we were playing as like the record label. So, you know, shout out to Walker and Royce for writing relentless bangers after banger. They're just <laughs> prolific producers. Um, but also, you know, it, it takes a lot of, you know, takes a lot of guts to go out on a limb and, you know, work with a small little independent label, you know? Yeah. So they, they trusted me with the record, and, uh, you know, as scary or as intimidating as it was, um, got really fortunate and uh, shout out to Chris Lake though, too. Like, uh, you know, before it came out, we did a deal. Like I, he hit me up, we were playing a Holy ship or something. Yeah. And he come up to me and was like, you know, I really like that record. Why don't we do it together kind of thing. So, Black Book actually has uh, 25% of that record. 
Um, and me and Chris like it's the very first like co-release of a record between labels or whatever. And and Chris technically uh, uh, signed a quarter of it. And that was really I think also important because his career is just this rocket ship into space Insane. right now forever. And you know having his support on a record like that in front of thousands of people week after week after week was also like something that really kind of gave the record more life than just after it came out. Because I mean I think it was number one for like three weeks or a month or something. Yeah. Um, but after that, you know, six months later, Chris Lake is still playing in front of 12,000 people or, 20, <laughs> people or something. You know? so, he still plays it, dude. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, really, really cool to see. And, and you know, he, he deserves a lot of credit for that record, too. I, I basically, you know, <laughs> also <laughs> essentially try to remove myself from the equation as much yeah. as I can make sure things succeed. You know, like, uh, you know, Chris wants the record. I think, you know, that definitely sets them up for the best chance for success. So you know, more the merrier on everything. But yeah, that that record, I think, really helped the label and um, really helped the trajectory of, of kind of the footprint in, in America. Amazing, brother. C- congratulations on that. That's the that's the last release outside of the, the remixes. What When's the next Hot Boy track coming out? You got anything in the works? Well, you know, I, I really, like, it was really weird, like, with, especially, like, the Black Lives Movement, um, yeah. the BLM movement and, and stuff. I just there was so much stuff socially that was happening at the time in 2020, you know, 2020, just in general. Yeah. That it was really like, it just kind of like, how do I put it? I just was very uninspired to try to promote music. I felt like music was secondary. There are more important issues going on in society just in general. So when um, the pandemic had kind of, well, I guess we got out of lockdown or ended or I don't know. So we're still in it. I don't know, whatever. No, I don't know either. Um, when everything kind of kind of bounced back, um, it was really kind of important to me to just stay in Denver um, as much as possible and make sure that the city bounced back strong and the scene came back like in like a very ethical way, or at least my idea of what ethical looks like. Because yeah. uh, obviously I, I do a tremendous amount of, of shows and, and, and have a, a pretty big role uh, in electronic music here in Denver. And so it was just really important that I stick around and note just like, okay, labels back on, I'm making music, I'm touring, I'm gone all the time because I really wanted to be here during the, the kind of the transformation of what the new scene and the new, you know, world was going to look like after we were finally able to, to, to gather. So um, I've been I've been really laying low. I've been finally in the studio a lot more in the past like couple months, but it took me, you know, we opened back up in June and, you know, I mean the company that I I work with, I mean, we had 235 employees before the pandemic had hit and 4 days before we were told that we could open, we had 8, you know. So tremendous amount of work to try and get every the engine back up and you know yeah. think sustainable and work on the new projects and all these other things that I got going on around me right now so it's like um I've been kind of just focusing on being a promoter for the past like a year or so yeah. um in the background working on music again and uh we're, we're launching um Hot Boy again in August so awesome. first release is uh these kids uh sent me a record that just blew me away is uh this kid named from, from Detroit named Botez and yeah. this kid from New York named Ken Kelly. They got this little uh, uh, collab record that they sent me that I just think is tip top. So that's gonna be the first release on the label and we're gonna launch that in August. Um, that's gonna come with a, a merch drop. And um, you know, I think that I'm hoping to have my EP at least done by September, October. 
And then um, depending on where that goes, uh, hopefully start joining again in like quarter four now that the ships are not wobbling too much back home. Yeah, for sure, man. That's awesome, bro. And and I, you've said so many things that I feel like there, there's things that we could expand upon, but I love that you committed so hard to your city and bringing it back. I, I really do respect that, you know, as someone that tries to do that in Chicago. So mad love and respect, bro, for real. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah, no, you got to come. Well, you're coming out in a couple of weeks, so we'll be celebrating. Absolutely. We will, man. We <laughs> will. Uh, okay. So I, I do want to ask you one last question and, and you've touched on upon it a few times and it's kind of the state of the music industry right now, you know, with someone like you has, who has seen the rise in the Denver scene in the U S I mean, the global market of dance music is obviously massive. Um, you know, Fisher, Chris Lake, Sonny Federa, Green Velvet, John Summit, Nora Impure, they are bigger than ever. I mean, it's insane, right? Going on world tours, uh, main stages at festivals. I guess my simple question to you is, is why do you think that is? Why are they so popular? What is, what has changed with music? Why, why house music has made it to the main stages? Well, I think house music in general started becoming more popular when pop music started trying to do house music. Yeah, true. Um, I still think that the way people consume music is unfortunately, especially nowadays, is very algorithmic and very gatekept still. So when the majors want to get behind something and make something big, they get to do that because it's all part of the machine. So when it, you know, I, I, I think that house music in general is finally getting a lot more acceptance because of the, the majors kind of latching onto this culture, you know? Yeah. Um, but I also, you know, I also think that, you know, you, you look at every one of those artists that you listed and every single one of those artists worked their ass off. To yeah. Them. Right. They've been in the game. It's like, finally, yeah. So, you know, it's just kudos to them and congrats, you know, in every way. But when it when it comes to like house music in general becoming a lot more mainstream, I think we can pretty much credit that to the majors finally fucking with house music. You know, <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, it took a while for that to kind of happen in America. But we're getting to the point where, you know, that should if you think about it, like in the UK, you got like Radio One and, you know, that's like the Mecca when it comes to right. radio for like dance music right and the bigger radio one gets and the more like big pop records that they push over at radio the more underground stuff can resist right the more left field stuff can say oh fuck radio one i'm playing this little warehouse over here we're doing weird bongo music or something (laughs) so like just because i believe everything upstreams and so because of that like i think you know now with Spotify and, you know, the major labels really kind of focusing on dance music and pushing it on their playlists and creating a space where people can access it and find it. I think you're going to see, you know, I don't think there's anything slowing down like electronic dance music in America. I think it's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger. Um, You know, you think about, (laughs) it's funny, I, 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 the biggest artist, best biggest electronic artist in the world say, I don't know. I mean, outside of Daft Punk, cause I think they're in a different level. Yeah. Kanye level or something. Right. 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 But look at like, I don't know. Uh, we'll say, let's just, let's just say Chris Lake. Right. Uh, Chris Lake and Fisher massive, right. They're selling big, big shows out. Probably one of the, you know, they're, they're at the top of their game right now and they're continuing to rise. Like they're, they're definitely like, yeah. you know, from a, from a, know commercial standpoint or whatever they're blowing up into that mainstream 
world. Like people know your 55 year old dad knows Chris Lake records. You know what yeah, I mean? That's like, true. It's fucked that up. Shit crazy, is yeah. like, they're playing that shit. Like it's jock jams at the, at the, so it's like there it's like, it's the music has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Like it's very accessible. Um, but even Chris Lake is still not what these country music stars pull ticket sales wise that, you know, some of these guys will come through and do 150,000 tickets on two nights, you know, and that's just goes to show you how much the rest of the country likes. I mean, the bigger, the, the biggest EDM acts that we have, Skrillex or I don't know, whoever you want to put on whatever pedestal, they're still like underground compared to, Liver. yeah, compared to, you know, the bigger piece of the pie where it comes to, you know, what the rest of America consumes as music. So okay. it's, that's, that just goes to show you how much room for growth there is. And I think that, I don't think there's anything stopping, you know, house or EDM uh, or techno or, you know, I mean, I don't think there's anything stopping dance music in America. I think it just has a, a tremendous amount more room to grow. That's what it looks yeah. like to me. Absolutely. And and you do see these collaborations happening a lot more. You know, you mentioned country music. Diplo, of course, did basically a whole country album, which I actually thought was pretty tasteful. I thought it was good. And, and you look at somebody like Axwell and Chami who helped produce Lady Gaga's album, right? Like everyone's right. kind of recognizing where their talent and, and, opportunity is and that's when again i want to just like bring up the collaboration between artists massive and small like i love what you said like the next chris lake is 17 years old making beats and he is i'm sure she is i'm sure they are right yeah for sure yeah like i just gotta gotta go find them and and and, and put them on stage <laughs> <laughs> i love that man that's a, that's a that's a great perspective and i couldn't agree more with you and I mean, just to wrap it all up, like it's just such a great time to be in dance music and in our positions and especially as a fan, I think it's just, it's a, there's a, a revival going on if you want to call it that. And it's just very exciting and it's the summer and, you know, we, we all hope to be on the other side and um, it's just like, I don't know, I'm, I'm happy, man. What else can I say? Right. Yeah, me too, man. I, I've been, I've been loving music more and more lately. And I, I yeah, think too. For a while I was hating it during the pandemic, I was mad at it. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, now it's just a, it's a good time to explore and, and go enjoy new shit. It's been, it's been awesome. Live your life, people. All right, brother. What's the last thing you can tell us about what's coming up? You did mention some things, anything on the hopper right now you want to mention? Oh man. Um, you know, just thanks for having me and super grateful that, you, 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 that, uh, yeah, we were able to do this. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to the, you know, bringing back Hopper and really looking forward to putting out music again. So hopefully by the end of the year, um, Things will be back on track. Let's go, brother. I'm so excited to see you in a few weeks. And uh, just know, once again, Chicago loves you. That's a fucking fact. <laughs> got to get back out there. I know. I I, I got I to gotta get these records out and go on tour. And we'll, we'll, we'll throw some boat parties in January. Let's go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. I, I don't know if anyone's going to show up. But I'll do my best to help promote. <laughs> Sounds good. Brennan, it's nice right, to meet bro. you, brother. Thanks again for making the time. Absolutely, man. Looking forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Sounds good. Have a good Bye. night.